because why not? You can ask for whatever you want when you're staying at a nice hotel. They'll, you know, as long as it's legal, they'll do whatever you like. You I'm know? actually pretty sure they'll do it even if it's not entirely legal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't cross that line. But I did ask for an extra bath elephant from them, and they and I they did provide ones. An extra bath elephant. Yes, they have these little blue elephants. I guess that's a symbol of the country, right? The elephant. And it was a squeaky toy that you had in your bath. So when you're taking a bath, you can, you know, if you want to have an executive bathing session, you can squeak your elephant. And um, I wanted to take one home. Couldn't you just uh, steal the one that was in the room or? I didn't like the color. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok. It's Karsten, and today I'm here with Michael Smith, a guest who, when I asked him what I should ask him about, told me executive transvestite travel. <laughs> Hello, Michael. In Thailand. In Thailand. Hello, Hello Michael. Hi, Karsten. Hi, everyone. So, <laughs> let's just get right to the gist of it. Tell me about executive transvestite travel. Or maybe you, can, maybe you can tell me about why you can tell me about it. Let's start at the beginning there. Well, I gave myself permission to be who I want to be. <laughs> that includes wearing dresses when I want to. I mean, I, I feel inside I feel female. I mean, outside I still have some male equipment. Um, I haven't done any surgery or hormones to, to change my appearance, but I certainly will wear different clothes or makeup or, or do other things that change how I appear to people on the outside. So the, the executive part is just, I, you know, I own a company, so I guess I'm an executive. And so I try to dress more tastefully on the female side, you know, some cross-dressers myself included sometimes will dress on the slutty side of things but you know usually if i'm traveling i'll, I'll try and be more tasteful you adhere um, to the lounge code the lounge code <laughs> well you what's the lounge code i don't know like I, I don't think there is a code i just i mean most people just i guess happen to look a bit um more formally dressed because it's mostly business class and most of them are traveling for work so Kind of, there is a connection there, right? I, I used to work for an airline, and when we traveled business class, we were expected to dress a certain way, and that was also to match like what other people were dressing. Yeah, I don't worry too much about the. I mean, air, to be honest, airlines are taking your money, and the, if you're if you're paying for a business class ticket, they're going to treat you nicely, pretty much however you're dressed. But yeah, I'll try. I usually dress pretty nice to travel. Yeah, so a lot of the time I just dress ambiguously. You know, it's not totally male or female because it does. You know, dressing fully female does take more work. So wait, you dress ambiguously because you're too lazy, or? <laughs> yeah, basically. You know, I want to be relaxed and comfortable. So I mean, you know, there's a subsection of female clothing that isn't always comfortable to wear for long periods of time. Like high heels are the obvious example there. Wearing a bra for a long time is painful on the chest too. You know, leaves it leaves marks. You've probably seen these on women when they get undressed. 
you know, it's not exactly the world's most friendly piece of clothing. And certainly, I, I, I haven't met anyone who can wear high heels for more than a few hours and not have pain in their feet. They may disguise that, but <laughs> the, the truth is they're not particularly comfortable to wear. Okay, how do you think you're, like, when you come to Thailand, your travel experience while cross-dressed differs from what other people experience? Well, I, I think sometimes people give a second look as like, okay, is this a man or a woman? And Does it happen always, at like immigration or? Oh, yeah. Sometimes they'll address me as a woman and I'll politely correct them. You know, my passport has mail on it. You know, they'll say, madam. And I'll say, oh, it's actually sir. And they're doing <laughs> that. Because I don't want them, you know, I don't want them to be uncomfortable. Right. And I don't want them to feel they've made a mistake. Are they addressing uh, you that, as a woman because they think you prefer to be addressed that way? No, I think they genuinely think I am a woman you uh -huh. know, before I open my mouth and they hear my voice. <laughs> and unless I'm making an extreme effort to sound female. Does, does your uh, passport picture, I mean, for most people, their passport picture doesn't resemble them. But <laughs> in your case, does it? Is there an even bigger discrepancy? Or? Well, I didn't, I didn't wear makeup for the passport photo. So uh -huh. it and, and they make you frown, not frown, but they don't want you smiling in your passport photo, right? Uh -huh. For uh, computer, computer recognition reasons, I think. So, uh, yeah, it looks pretty male because, you know, let, let's face it, when I'm being female, I smile more, as do many women. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the little gender differences men and women have. In general, women smile more than men. <laughs> I haven't noticed but, that. <laughs> oh, maybe well, look around and see me. how many. <laughs> now, maybe that's different in Thailand. Maybe Thai men are more smiley. Oh, that's um, I mean, in general, my experience interacting in Thailand is is everyone's friendly and smiling. Okay. Even, even if you show up at immigration and they're like, wait a second, or... They, they just want to make sure you have a real passport and you're okay to enter Thailand. I don't think they're too concerned. They've probably seen everything there. Have you ever <laughs> had a problem? Like an actual, you know, where they... Oh, in other countries, yeah. I want, Once I was entering the US and the guy didn't like that I had fingernail polish on. And I don't think I was wearing makeup, but I probably looked pretty effeminate. And he quizzed me for 30 minutes. And I have a US passport. But he couldn't quite get his head around. <laughs> I I don't know. I didn't I didn't ask him what was going on in his head because I just wanted to get through immigration, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it obvious obviously he had some questions in his mind, you know. So uh, he asked me, you know, what am I? Why am I coming here? You know, I have and I have a U.S. passport. I have the right to live in the country. But well, they can't deny you entry, right? So. I think they can, actually. Really? I think they can. They can do whatever they want at the border. Huh. Okay, so... You know, but when, that's a little, well, when that's you a little to, nerve wracking mm -hmm. But when you come to Thailand, no one has denied you entry, people are welcoming. No, they're always very friendly. They're always... The immigration in Thailand... I mean, sometimes I'm a little anxious, you know, because I'm wearing... You know, I'm looking a little outlandish, maybe. <laughs> or not. Maybe I'm looking like many women look. Looking outlandish for a man, I should have said. Mm -hmm. Like, how does your experience go on from there? So you, so basically, the airline is happy to take your money. They're not batting an eyelash, whether fake or real. And uh, immigration, <laughs> immigration is uh, happy. You, you know, have an actual valid visa, and it's not fifteen tourist visas chained 
<laughs> back to back. Um, <laughs> then you get to the hotel in, you know, or so does that, like, does this, it sounds like it's all, you know, pretty seamless. It is. And I, 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 it didn't used to be. So in Thailand, what used to happen? Well, I only started going to Thailand about five years ago. So, but when I first started cross-dressing in public, which was maybe, uh, gosh, 15 years ago, you know, people didn't treat me so well. And I, and the other, what I can think is, is because I had self doubts in my own head. They kind of picked up on that is what I think would happen. But now I'm like confident and the people at the hotel, are, you know, they're very happy. And sometimes they'll address me as sir and sometimes as madam, depending on. It's hard to tell. Are they calling me madam because they're seeing me as a woman, which is definitely sometimes the case? Or are they calling me madam because they're seeing me as a man dressed as a woman and they want to be polite? So does it matter <laughs> to you why they're doing it? No, I don't care. At this point, I used to get really wound up about it and I'd want them to call me madam when I was dressed as a woman, but and call me she and her and all those other things. But now I don't really. I mean, you know, that's certainly a preference, but I'm not going to get concerned about it. And sometimes, like I was staying at the Hilton in the Con, no, the Conrad Hilton or whatever it was. The Conrad, you know, if I'm interact, yeah, it's, it's a very nice hotel. It's a five star hotel. And so, you know, I was going to the same place for breakfast there every day and meeting the same hotel staff. So I think I, at some point I did say, well, you know, can you just call me madam? <laughs> and they said, certainly, madam. <laughs> so, because why not? You can ask for whatever you want when you're staying at a nice hotel. They'll, you know, as long as it's legal, they'll do whatever you like. You I'm know? actually pretty sure <laughs> they'll do it even if it's not entirely legal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't cross that line. But I did ask for an extra bath elephant from them, and they and I they did provide ones. An extra bath elephant. Yes, they have these little blue elephants. I guess that's a symbol of the country, right? The elephant, and it was a squeaky toy that you had in your bath. So when you're taking a bath, you can, you know, if you want to have an executive bathing session, you can squeak your elephant. And um, I wanted to take one home. Couldn't you just uh, steal the one that was in the room? Or I didn't like the color. <laughs> so they brought me a tray with a selection of ones to take away <laughs> oh that is great so yeah, i mean got to ask for what you want in these places you know? mm-hmm. i mean they can say no <laughs> i mean you you described how you know this was a, nowadays you're a lot more relaxed about this and when you first started dressing as a woman in public that was a lot more difficult than as little as 15 years ago and do you think that would have been different if you had started doing that in thailand like let's say you had lived in thailand would that have you know been a better experience i i imagine it would because you know obviously we in thailand we have lady boys and i i don't know if i've never seen i've never noticed the opposite thing there are the other women in thailand who dress as men oh yeah yeah totally totally we, what do they call them toms Toms, okay. Like Tom Boy, no, Toms. I haven't noticed those. Okay, uh, it's cool. usually It's usually a short haircut and like a button-down shirt, jeans and leather boots or shoes. It's, I, uh-huh. I think in Thailand you very much have the ties like to look the part, regardless of what it is. <laughs> they like to look the part. So they're very fashionably uh-huh. dressed when they go out. 
in all scenarios, they like to look the part. So it's definitely something you'll see. And if you pay, like if you're a bit of longer, you'll, you'll definitely notice it. So for I mean, you mentioned ladyboys, like when you run into them, how do they react to you? I've run into several. I mean, you know, it's, they seem pretty interested. I, I sort of imagine that sometimes they're looking for business, you know, certainly if you're down in, um, is it Padpong or I forget, where's the neighborhood where all the sex shows are? You know, oh, yeah, that's Bangkok. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they just see you as another customer? Yeah, but I think they think that their their fishing ground is more rich if they're talking to someone who's a transvestite. So you're like a you're a qualified lead. You're not just yeah, not just a random uh, foreigner coming to that nightclub district. You're someone who they might be able to convince to to do something with them. Oh, that's but interesting. Why do why do they that. do you have any idea why they would pick up on that so much? Maybe there's a lot of demand from people who cross-dress to pay for sex. I don't know. I mean, I didn't investigate it further, so I I, I couldn't. You know, I I didn't do a, like a whole tabulated survey of a hundred lady boys. So that might be an interesting thing to do one day. No, we can put up a Google form. That's okay. Um, yes. So, but you know, one thing I did learn she she was saying it was a lot easier being a lady boy in Bangkok and it was she was from Chiang Mai I think maybe out in the countryside uh-huh. where did you meet and her in Bangkok uh-huh. and she she said it was harder for her uh, being a lady boy in, in in Chiang Mai you know it was easier in, in a big city in Bangkok because they're away from family or just because the city is bigger yeah I think away from family I think that's what in her case and I can see that. I mean, you know, when I first started doing this, it was easier to go to a strange city and or a different city and because uh, no one knows you there. So you can be whoever you want to be. And it never so, did it ever cross your mind before? I mean, you've only been coming to Thailand in recent years. And have you ever heard of the whole ladyboy thing in the past? And has that ever crossed your oh, mind? Yeah. So, so have you ever yeah, thought I've about, read. oh, maybe that's where I should be? Well, it seems very, I've certainly read about it. I was certainly, you know, interested in, in having more freedom uh, gender wise. And there's certainly, I mean, that's been my experience in Thailand, that people seem just more accepting about gender and and more accepting in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I talked to one person in Thailand, um, and I think I was asking about massage parlors. And it's like, well, you, you know, Naturally. everyone here seems very, ex- yes, of course, you know, <laughs> it's famous for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, everyone seems very accepting of this. And, and I think he said, well, it's more that they're kind of they have this kind of Buddhist view that everyone's, a, you know, a, a human and, and, you know, just accept them how they are if they're not hurting you kind of thing. It's not that they actually would like their own daughter to be doing that, you know. <laughs> But mm-hmm. if their own daughter did do that, I think they'd probably be, you know, they'd come around to it. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. know. Seems... <laughs> <laughs> I would and the same thing with, quite the with the lady boys. But, um, you know, I think if your own son is a lady boy, it's maybe a little different than just seeing someone else as a lady boy. I think that might require a bit more adjustment. Certainly did with my parents anyway. They, 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 they did accept me cross-dressing, but I think it was a bit of a surprise to them when I told them. <laughs> That they the cross dressing part or the kind of gender identification part or to them that was the same. 
they didn't really get the details of it, I don't think. I mean, um, so yeah, it was just the cross-dressing part of it. Uh huh. But yeah, my my mother's like, oh, well, does that mean you're going to go on the stage and be a, uh, you know, what do they call those people who go on the stage? Uh, uh, Lip-syncing, uh, like female the... impersonator. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm I certainly don't have anything against getting on the stage and doing <laughs> whatever. But I, that's not my motivation. You know, I just feel good wearing female clothing because it expresses my inner spiritual nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, assuming that you're male, I, I assume you feel good wearing male clothes. I feel I don't really care about the clothes I've, I wear. I've, I've worn pretty much everything already. So, like, to me, clothes are not a part of my identity, I guess. Oh. Well, I guess I guess they are part of my identity. I mean, they're kind of they're a fun it's, thing to play it's more with. Of a, it's more of a message thing. Like clothes send a message, and I I kind of see them as a tool, but not as part of identity. Yeah, they they can. Send, what messages do you see them sending? <laughs> uh, well, I was actually recently thinking about that. You know, let's say um, different colors that you're wearing will kind of give a different vibe. So. Mm. If, like, you know, you have this dark blue color of which always kind of is associated with authority, if you try to appear more serious, you know, dark blue is usually a good choice because um, if you go into a flower shirt while you're having a performance improvement plan discussion with an employee, it's going to feel a bit weird. Um, <laughs> what if you wore a floral dress, you know? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, for and you, what, do, do you have, what does that, what do you, does that do you, do mean? Do you manage your team remotely or do you, um, because you're a digital nomad. Yeah, I am a digital nomad. Um, so now I do manage them remotely. But before I had an office and I came out to the, my employees in the office and then I would wear dresses and heels and makeup on occasion. Not every day, but, you know, Did when that I felt change like the it. dynamic in any way? I don't think it changed the power dynamic, if that's what you're talking about. Because let's face it, women are managers and CEOs as well as men. And they manage to project power even if they are wearing a dress and it isn't dark blue. You know? so, <laughs> so, okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. You know, there is that tradition of wearing a power suit. And, uh, you know, it does give messages of power and status, you know, how rich you are, how well made the clothes are. And color is part of that. Also, the cut and the material and length and all those kind of things. <laughs> mm. But and I think it actually, it was a good, for me, it was certainly a good experience. And I think for them, really, it was a good experience because it like let them be themselves more than they, you know, at work. Do you think they kind of knew already? So it was really a surprise no. to them? No? No, they didn't. No, <laughs> they what were was pretty, that day I think like when you first walked into the office? Well, I was kind of anxious, you know, are they going to, you know, I told them that I do this, but that's not the same as actually doing it. Oh, you told that they knew, they knew, basically you told them that is something you do. So that it wasn't like, it came completely out of the blue. I decided to tell them uh, because I just wanted to be more out, you know, because I just hiding part of myself creates anxiety in me. And, you know, and if I've been, for example, if I've worn makeup the day before or worn nail polish and you know, it's hard to take that stuff stuff off perfectly. You often end up with a little trace of it there. 
So, you know, I'd be always anxious about, oh, they're going to sell it all they know. It's much easier just to tell people. Yeah, I I met them each one-on-one and told them and said, look, I'm just sharing this because I want to be myself. And and I was really nervous, but they, you know, all went fine. And then I said, you know, I asked if they had any questions. And I said, you know, this doesn't affect the work side of things. And then I met all of them together as a group. So they all knew each of them knew. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and my girlfriend at the time, she came along too to provide moral support. So, yeah, all, all went good. And then, yeah, but the first day I turned up dressed as a woman, I did feel slightly anxious. <laughs> And, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time, but I mean, there's still sometimes, uh, you know, if it's in a new group of people or a new situation, you know, there's a little, it's like public speaking in a way. I, I don't know if you public speak, but I, I speak to crowds and if I'm giving a talk to a new group. There's, it, it feels a little different. There's a little bit different anxiety there. We know each other from this entrepreneur conference that takes, ba- takes place about once a year in Bangkok. And uh, I noticed last year was the first year where at the after parties, you basically went all in on dressing up high heels in spite of them being not too comfortable and makeup. And boobs. Don't forget the boobs. And boobs. <laughs> yes. Thanks for, thank goodness for foam rubber, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, okay. So first time boobs in Bangkok. Um <laughs> That's a little like brood in Bangkok, but it's boobed in Bangkok. Boobed in Bangkok. Okay. Well, there we go. That's our episode title. Um, so you, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a conference where you maybe know people in another context and you've met them in the year before yes. and then it's a business conference and then right. the first time you fully dress up. Like, what went through your head then? Well, I was a bit anxious, but, you know, I, I just did some energy work to calm myself down, ground myself. And I, I'm sure I asked, what would it take to, for this to go easily and joyfully? And, uh, and it did. People are pretty relaxed in that group. So did you get any kind of reaction? Out of, I mean, this is like digital nomads and entrepreneurs. So I guess there are a lot of travelers. So they're kind of a bit more used to experiencing, well, newness every day. Uh, but did you get any reaction or was it more like you showed up and it was like nothing had changed? I think there was some reaction. I think people were a bit, you know, I, I'm sure people gave me a second look. Uh-huh. And then the only reactions I remember, you know, I got some compliments on how attractive I looked, which is pretty standard for when a woman is dressed attractive. <laughs> huh. well, did, was, did it go as you expected? I don't know if I had an expectation, but, you know, it went pretty easy. And it was only for like a, a couple of hours. So like um, the high heel action <laughs> didn't get tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's if you're standing for hours on end that they get tiring. I mean, I, I try and be careful if I'm meeting new people, I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. And in particular, one thing I try and avoid is if you've got a heterosexual guy who starts hitting on you, try to let them know, you know, I'm a man wearing a dress here, you know, so they don't get too excited and then get upset. Because mm-hmm. that, that can lead to, to complications. Has that gotten <laughs> you in trouble already? Um, I've never been, I not, I have, I've never been hit for, for that, but I have had other friends of mine who cross-dressed or transgendered, uh, who have had violence against them because I, I think, you know, I can understand if you're a guy 
if you're a heterosexual guy and you think you're hitting on this girl and you, you're thinking you might have sex with her and then it turns out they're a guy, I imagine what goes through their head is they're like, oh, does that mean I'm gay? Because I've been hitting on this guy wearing a dress and then they get angry. And, and instead of taking it inwards, they take it outwards. Mm. So. Uh, you mentioned Thais uh, seem to be some of the most relaxed people when it comes to you and as well as the digital nomads you meet here. So it sounds like you're very much surrounded by people who kind of take it easy while in Thailand. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have any problem in Thailand. I mean, if anyone listening feels like playing with their gender, I would highly recommend Thailand as the place to do it, Bangkok in particular, mm -hmm. because like, I, I don't think anyone's really going to bat much of an eyelid. There's so much wackiness that goes on in Bangkok to start with. Um, and and, and I, I live half my year in Peru. And, and it's fine here, too, even though it's a more conservative country. And I, I think the reason may be that they think foreigners are pretty crazy to start with. <laughs> so a foreigner wearing a dress is no more crazy than being a foreigner. Right. <laughs> Whereas if it was someone, you know, one of their friends doing it, they may be more excited about it. Mm. So, you know, I think as long as you're just doing things that are legal. And I, as far as I know, wearing makeup and dresses and high heels in Bangkok is totally legal, <laughs> if not encouraged. So your um, takeaway actionable advice is if you want to are in a position in your life where this is something you're not certain about or you were going to test it out, just buy a flight to Bangkok and uh, pack the suitcase a bit differently and test it out for two weeks or... Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are even services in Thailand that cater to that, that, you know, would assist you with your makeup and uh, whatever. I mean, I know there are services in other cities, in, in certainly in the United States, that do that. So I'm, I'm almost sure that Thailand is seen as a cross-dressing and transgendered destination. Mm. I'd ha I'll have to look that up for you later. So. <laughs> what about other expats? You know, I mean, like, not everybody here is a digital nomad in their 20s, but you have, like, very different demographics here as well. Do you notice different reactions there, or do you just not have any overlap? Well, with that I, ha I have to tell you that, first of all, I used to get concerned about people staring at me, right? Uh -huh. But I got over that. Right. I, I'm almost blind. It's almost like I have horse blinkers on my face. Uh -huh. <laughs> kind of people stare at me and it's like I don't even pay any attention. So that's partly from the cross-dressing aspect. I just ignore it. But it's also if you are a beautiful woman in this world, which is what I'm that's where I'm aspiring to be. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think sometimes I achieve that because people interact with me as though I'm a woman and you get stared at. Yeah. I mean, men don't realize this, but I think most women listening realize that men stare at women. And the more attractive you make yourself with clothing and makeup and what hair and what have you, the more they stare. And I mean, sometimes that's nice because it's like you're getting attention and, and, and other times it's kind of creepy, but it's just something, something you get used to. Mm hmm. <laughs> When you really first heard about ladyboys in Thailand, I mean, it starts already with that term. Do you feel that it's kind of a fetish? Sure, there's a fetish angle to it. I mean, 
there's a whole fetish angle to the whole of gender and sexuality, whether it's heterosexual or, or gay, you know. Okay, and do you feel that's a, like, do you happily take the fetish with the acceptance or? Uh... What does fetish mean? It's like an obsession over a certain piece of clothing or a certain way of doing things, I think. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what fetish actually is. But yeah, there's definitely a fetishistic, I can't even say the word, fetishistic attitude. Okay. Uh, I give you an ex- I'll give you an example. So Go for it. I'm, I I'm, know a guy who with, runs with a website lips. that is, I know a guy that runs a website which is called myladyboydate.com. Mm. and uh, he's been doing quite well with it. And, uh, you know, a few months back, he told me he's going to launch a second brand, which will be called mytransgenderdate.com, which kind of hints at, okay, so it's, there is two very significant customer groups that identify in one or the other camp and that don't seem to have a lot of overlap. I thought that was very interesting that I'm pretty sure he has the same database behind it, but just the branding. One is like the ladyboy brand and the other one is a transgender brand. And I thought it was very interesting to have these two approaches to the topic. What, what do you see the difference between a ladyboy and a transgendered person? Ah, that's a good question. I think um, I'll give you an example of what something I've seen or heard about from close friends is that in... I think transgender is more about an identity and people struggle with an identity and they try to support each other who are also struggling with similar identity issues. And Ladyboy is also about aesthetics, meaning um, there is an aspiration not just to identify with a gender, but to achieve an aesthetic ideal. So what is not so often talked about is that there's actually a lot of discrimination among self-identified ladyboys who discriminate less good-looking ladyboys. They're like, "Oh, you're fat." <gasps> My or, goodness. "Oh, you're not and, you don't and... you're not you're not as pretty of a ladyboy as other people." So there's like it's there is definitely that's and, and s- how is that different from genetic females treating each other? Um, you don't think women don't get up to that kind of behavior in their own subtle way? They would den- deny each other the say, wait, you look so bad, you shouldn't identify as a woman? Well, I don't think they'd phrase it that way, but like they they certainly may not treat someone who doesn't look as, att- as attractive. That certainly goes on. Mm. So for you, it's the same thing. For you, there's not really clearly well, distinguishable. I think it's a different... It's like one's vanilla ice cream and the other's chocolate ice cream. They're both ice cream. <laughs> All right. So, so would, if someone said, like, if someone introduces you as, oh, that's Michael, he's a white lady boy, would you say, okay, yeah, that's kind of hits the nail on the head? Or you're like, well, I don't identify with that term myself, but I'd be like, okay, if that rocks your boat, that's fine. Okay. Why would you not identify with that if you say they're so difficult to distinguish well i think i think lady boy is slightly different from cross-dressing right? but you but okay you go but maybe it isn't mm. maybe that's my prejudice <laughs> i th- i think so you know there's certainly a more i mean in my my view there's 
transgendered, which means anyone who doesn't fit into one of the two regular boxes of male and female. And then cross-dressing just means you're wearing clothing of the other gender. And transsexual would mean you're thinking of having surgery to adjust your body to fit how you feel inside. Okay. Which of those checkboxes do you tick for yourself? I check the cross-dressing one. (laughs) (laughs) Any of the others? You know, I feel a lot of female energy inside. I mean, I think all of us have male and female. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm totally female, but, you know, I have a a lot of female energy inside. But I don't feel, I I have an aversion to surgery, so, (laughs) so, uh, and chemicals. So I don't do hormones and and I don't intend to do surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't feel I need to. It's quite possible to project femininity without having to adjust those Mm. things. I think kids and drunks are usually the most honest people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Kids will come up to me and like, are you a man or a woman? And what do you answer? <laughs> I tell them the truth. I'm a man who likes dressing as a woman. <laughs> that totally. <laughs> or I In just, Thailand, I don't that, know. That, Maybe I'll just say I'm a right. man. Yeah. It's more their parents who are more polite. You know, children will be, you know, they'll just go straight for the truth. <laughs> um, they accept your answer or they? Oh, yeah. They're usually just curious because they. I think when we incarnate in these bodies, we're like, what the heck is going on here? What is all this male and female thing? You know, it's a little silly what we get up to. It's not like, you know, currently men do wear the more drab clothing and the the looser fitting baggy stuff, right? Generally. And and the women are wearing more tight fitting or more tailored cultured stuff. And wear makeup, of course. But like you go back 200 years in Europe, the men were wearing makeup and high heels and fancy flowery clothes. And the women were wearing plain stuff. You know, it's all a a little game we Mm. play. (laughs) Even, you know, when I've gone to Indonesia and they they have a wedding in Bali, the men wear makeup and pretty girly clothes, to be honest, for the wedding. (laughs) Have Have you told them that? Um, I don't think I actually did tell him that, but I, I, maybe I told him he looked very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally the men were wearing full Mm -hmm. makeup, you know, lipstick, gloss, foundation, eye makeup, Mm -hmm. a lot. As were the women, you know, they were both very pretty. Do they do that in Thailand for weddings? They don't. It's not the same, right? Totally different. (laughs) I'm sure there's like, you know, maybe they'll do foundation or like, you know, they'll, it's like TV makeup maybe, but not like. Well, and I've seen ads. I've seen ads on the street in Thailand where, yeah, they have foundation for Ooh. guys and they have eyebrow makeup for guys. Oh, I haven't seen the my eyebrow makeup yet. That's interesting. Yeah, have well groomed eyebrows, and you will get lucky at the discotheque this oh, weekend. Nice. <laughs> um, when you go out in Bangkok, what would it take to make you lucky or happy? To have sex, you mean, or what? you? You were said you said <laughs> were targeted by lady boys because they perceive you as a potential client. Are there any other groups that react to you that you feel react to you more strongly than to other tourists or other visitors? Uh, yeah, I think gay Westerners would tend to react uh-huh. more. I mean, I think that's a pretty common thing in all countries because <laughs> they assume you're gay they assume if you're wearing a dress if you're a guy wearing a dress you must mm. be gay right which isn't always the case and certainly in my case it's not the case mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i'm bisexual so i, I go both mm-hmm. ways but um yeah i think there's that assumption there all kinds of assumptions get made <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I'll get hit on by gay guys. Mostly Western, not Thai, right? Yeah. Well, how do you know if a Thai guy is gay? What do you mean? Well, with a Western guy, they tend to dress more flamboyantly. That would be the stereotype if they're the more femme gay guy. I guess if they're the more butch gay guy, then they're dressing more masculine. Well, my, my impression on that is, again, in Thailand, people try to look the part. Um, so they, many uh, gay guys will try to make it exceedingly obvious that they're gay. Now, why do I don't they know. do that? Um, it's just, uh, it's something I notice, And it's uh, when I go back uh, to Germany or the US, sometimes I'm kind of surprised as in, oh, right. It's not a, you don't have to be so, you don't always signal that so over the top as you do it in Thailand with so many things. Like in Thailand, you just, it's just a thing that people try to look the part more. And that goes in many mm. different ways. So, yeah, which is I, I, what makes you wonder how they would perceive you. <laughs> well, it if sounds fun. Uh, I mean, you know, sounds a good reason to be in Thailand. <laughs> Clearer signaling. <laughs> when you said signaling, I thought it was going back to those old colored handkerchiefs in the pocket deal. <laughs> you know, where you put a different color in, a di in your left back pocket or your right back pocket. And it means, do you do this or that? Or what sexual behavior to get up to and are you receiving or giving <laughs> depending on if it's on the left or the right that was really before my time i never heard of that i think it was an american thing okay. yeah they had i you can look it up on the internet there's all different color you know i won't list out the explicit sexual behaviors cuz you know there might be some sensitive people listening but just imagine a smorgensbord of of different possible activities you might get up to with someone and whether you're giving or receiving said activities. And then you'd, you'd stick a handkerchief in one side or the other. And I guess you could have several colored handkerchiefs, you know, up your sleeve to stick into your pocket, you know, depending on whether your mood changed after the third vodka martini you'd had, you know. Oh, all right. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Um, yes. Do you feel like I, I, and I've, <laughs> I mean, having lived in Thailand so long myself, I've noticed that, sure, on the one hand, you see um, ladyboys being accepted broadly. But on the other hand, there also seems to be a very low hanging glass ceiling. So very often, mm. um, the places where you'll find ladyboys outside of nightlife will be in retail, in customer service, and, um, mm. you know, maybe in a sales position but it's kind of limited there seems to be um and how is that different for the genetic females in thailand excuse me i think that's definitely different you will see for example um oh the glass ceiling is slightly higher for them i think it's different <laughs> it's um maybe oh it's definitely higher that's um but there still exists a glass ceiling for women right it does exist yes though yeah. what i wonder about is do you feel that this glass ceiling that this kind of the way that being a ladyboy is in a way permitted in Thailand is also kind of in a very narrowly defined area, whereas maybe elsewhere it's more vague, but there's no such set boundaries. I haven't really thought of a transvestite glass ceiling in other countries, so uh, that's an interesting idea. I'll have to see if I can find where it is. <laughs> I've never hit it. I mean, I just like do what the hell I want to do. I mean, I'm sure it does exist. Like, I don't, um, you know, it's... Well, 
Yeah, it probably does. I mean, you know, could a transvestite become president of the United States? You know, so maybe there's a could a transvestite be a congressman? Could a transvestite be a CEO of a Fortune? Now, we would used to say that you couldn't be gay and be a CIO, CEO of a, a Fortune 500 company. But right, the, the CEO of one of the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the US is openly gay, right? Mm. And I think there's more than one, right? I, I forget. I haven't really followed it, but I, I do know that Apple CEO came out more openly when he became CEO. Uh, you must have heard, like, when you are with other digital nomads or visitors to Thailand, you must have heard conversations about, you know, people talking about getting tricked by ladyboys or people passing. No, how do you get tricked by ladyboy? Tell me, what's the secret? What do you mean? <laughs> What's the secret to being tricked by a ladyboy? What would that even mean? Well, it means you give that would them, mean that they give you a twenty baht coin, a twenty baht note, and you think it was a fifty baht note, and then you give them change, and then you got tricked. But why does there have to be a ladyboy involved? No, I, okay, I, I'm joking. the The part is basically they <laughs> go they go out, go go out to a club, think um, yeah. someone you know you know what I mean, right? Um, but you they're coming on, someone's coming onto them and they think they're an attractive woman. And then it turns out that they're a man. Right. Is that the deal? Well, in their eyes. Um, yes. Why is that a problem? <laughs> well, what do you, what do you, what do you think when you hear that? It's like, ah, try to relax or like, what do you, or... well, it's like, how observant were they in the first place? You know, they must've been either not observant or pretty drunk to not realize that the person uh, was a ladyboy as opposed to a genetic girl. And secondly, uh, well, okay, if you don't want to have sex with a ladyboy, then just don't have sex with them. You don't have to make it mean anything about you. It doesn't have to mean you're suddenly gay because you uh, picked up a ladyboy. And thirdly, why not have some fun and see what you could get up to? I mean, you know, they may not have a vagina, but like there's plenty of other fun activities you could get up to. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of sex is, you know, letters SEX can stand for sacred energy exchange. And there's lots of energy you can exchange with anyone if you're just open to it. Which is a very spiritual way of putting it. Yes. Well, I'm a spiritual kind of girl. You, know? <laughs> you are, right? And, and, and a lot of this is a power exchange, too. Let's bring that into this, right? Um, you know, you talked about the power, dark blue suits and, and other thing and a lot of clothing is signaling subservience or domination and a lot of this interaction is is a dom sub interaction you know it's not a male female interaction it's like who's going to be subservient here and that's probably why the glass ceiling for lady boys or women or or gay men for that matter Right. If we're going to lay out the pecking order and the dominance of our society fully, right, we've got heterosexual males at the top, right? Then I'm guessing we probably have heterosexual females, maybe, or we maybe we have gay men. I'm not quite sure how they relate in this pecking order. And then you get down down to the the lady boys. <laughs> All right. So um, speaking about the spiritual part of things, you. Actually, I mean, you hinted at it uh, during this interview, but that's actually a very important part of what you do, right? It is. What is it that What is it that you do? What is it that you do? We've talked so much about, you know, uh, transgender people. We talked about lady boys. What is it that you actually do, Michael? 
uh, as far as work-wise or spiritual? <laughs> well, it's kind of both for you, right? Well, I, I wrote a book called Intuitive Leadership Mastery. So it's all about using your intuition in, in business. So, uh, and the key part of that is that what would it take question that we mentioned earlier. So, uh, and my mission is to spread that to every entrepreneur in the world. That every entrepreneur, instead of like suffering and struggling with business problems, they just ask what would it take to have this solved easily and uh, joyfully or however they want to ask the question. Like, and what get would some it, answers from their intuition. Like, what would it take to having a good time while wearing a dress? That's what I ask myself when I'm going to a new place or coming to a new conference where I haven't done it before. Mm. But also, you know, what would it take to add 10% to my profits this month? You know, or whatever the question is. Mm. You know, I, I think it's important we use our intuitions. And, and that's something that traditionally women in our society have been good at, you know, accessing their intuition. But there's no reason why men and women can't have that information, particularly if it makes you more money or makes your life easier. <laughs> mm. That what would you take philosophy you're um, advocating in your book? It's kind of, it reminds me a bit of, what's his name, Stephen Covey? Yeah, Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Successful People. Uh -huh. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think, yeah. Oh, even better. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, he starts like with uh, kind of start with the end in mind, like where do you want to go? and then work your way backwards. Is that along the same lines? Um, I would say it's related. I mean, they're both personal growth, but the what would it take is very different from, from thinking, how can I get to where this thing is? Because when you ask, how can I have 10% more profit or how can I go to this uh, party with other entrepreneurs wearing a dress and have a good time? I, you know, my, my thinking, my rational mind starts having to figure out, well, what's the solution to this? What are all the steps? Whereas when I ask, what would it take? I don't have to know the steps. It could just magically appear or it could be I'm getting an inspiration. That I wear a certain dress or that if I'm trying to increase my profits, I take a, you know, I email my list a certain way or do something else uh, to get the result I want. Or it could be I get someone else to help me. It doesn't have to be me who does all the work. So it's a little different. I mean, for, it's been a while since I read Stephen Covey's book, but I think it, it was more from a rational point of view that, you know, you needed to know all the steps to fill in the thing. I think, yeah, he had like a bit of a, a structure to it and like the different steps. It wasn't like seven. Uh, yeah, of course, seven habits, right? So seven habits, think, right? Um, so, but, you know, we don't have to have the, it, the problem is there's so much chaos and change going on right now, you know, from the political spectrum to social change, to technical change. We can't do it all rationally anymore. You, we have to use our in, intuition if we're going to. Can you give me an example where you use that? Well, where you taught a client to okay, disregard all the Excel sheets and go with your intuition. Sure, I had a client. She uh, her lease was up, and she was feeling stuck around finding a new place because she really liked the place that they were in, but she couldn't renew there for a particular reason. And so we, I helped her access her intuition and she was drawn to a place she didn't even know existed, but she actually ended up, you know, moving her office to and all her stuff. And she's had, you know, she, instead of being stressed about it, it became really easy. And instead of it being what do you like mean the it, rational approach to, hmm? what do you mean she didn't know it existed? It was like an empty office down the road or what? 
Yeah, it was a day. It was a place she hadn't even considered. Uh-huh. And it, it came to her intuitive mind to check it out. And, and her rational mind before this, when she was freaked out, her rational mind was like, okay, I've got to make a list and a spreadsheet of all the places and then rank them. And I've got to visit everyone. And instead, she kind of got an intuition to go check some place out and then discovered that they had some spaces available that would fit what she she had and she didn't have to go and then she also delegated to her office manager and had him go visit a few other places just to you know back up that she was doing the right thing okay but i can see a lot of people being very uh, skeptical about this saying yeah it's kind of a warm fuzzy approach like isn't that kind of just do you feel good thing or like how do you prove that there is some substance to this I I would suggest take keep evidence, you know, take a scientific approach, have a, a decision journal where you write down all the major business decisions you make. And you can write down, okay, I came, you know, I decided to to pick this client or hire this person or whatever. But you can also write down what were the intuitive nudges you had. Maybe you had a strange dream that seemed to relate to them. Or you you had a bit of a funny feeling in your body, you know, when you were interviewing them or, or whatever the thing was and then every month just check into this you know and, and look back and see okay was there any substance to this strange feeling i had in my stomach when i was hiring this person and they turned out to be a bozo mm. or was it i just i ate a bad hamburger for lunch you know <laughs> so. so kind of your your uh, do i understand this right that one of the most important ways to discover the power of your intuition is to keep a journal of it to journal your intuition or your hunches and then look back and yeah see how much truth that right because the the intuition is a quiet voice right it's not like your intuition is going to be shouting in your ear most of the time unless you're in a life-threatening situation in which case it might shout but generally our intuition is the quiet voice it, i think it's sort of like imagine you were driving in a car and you had a quiet child your inner child was sitting in the back seat whispering at you saying make a left turn you're going to there's something good there but you've got the radio turned up to the max and you've got two loud people in there you know judgment and ego sitting in in the car as well having a party you're never going to hear your intuition you've got to get quiet in order to be able to hear it um but if you do hear it she may have some good advice it's like the the inner gps mm -hmm. you know But if you're not listening to the GPS telling you, turn left here, turn left, you're going to avoid a lot of traffic, you know, then you're going to end up struggling and end up in traffic jams in your business. But you haven't always been this intuition-minded or intuition-controlled. No. Actually, uh, yeah. No, I used to be very rational. I did a math degree. Yeah, I checked it, it out on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I enjoy it, and I still uh, like it. Mr. Michael Smith has a master's degree in math from Cambridge University. Indeed. But you graduated 50 I years did. after Alan Turing did. Uh, we went to the same college. Uh -huh. Probably there was, I sort of wished I came out when I was at college. I didn't, but, you know, I have fantasies that, yeah, wouldn't it have been fun if I could have worn all these outfits and been more out then. But, you know, he, he went to the same college I did. Unfortunately, back in the 1950s, being different was not viewed as a positive thing. <laughs> So he committed suicide. Do you feel like when you started your math degree at Cambridge, did you were you aware of that? Were you like 
did I know I cross-dressed? Fuck, of course I knew I cross-dressed. I'd known since my, uh, I, I've known, I, I don't have many memories beyond about four, but I certainly have a memory around then wearing a, a chiffon scarf as like a dance of the seven veils thing being very feminine. So, yeah, so I've known I've had this for my whole conscious uh, lifetime in this incarnation. All the way from the master's degree in math at Cambridge to writing a book on using your intuition for business decisions. There you go. Yes, and going to conferences wearing high heels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where, where probably women are wondering, why would you do that? Why would you torture yourself this way? Yes. Oh, well. Well, you know, actually, it is interesting. Women wear high heels less these days. Uh-huh. They still will wear them. And where do where do women wear high heels? It's either fancy social occasions like a wedding or if it's, or if they work in some industry like banking, right, where they have to dress up more. But uh, a lot of careers, people don't wear them anymore. Which I guess is good for and feet. I don't blame them. Yeah. <laughs> Very good for feet, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've ever worn them, but, they, you know. They could go from okay to being bloody painful. <laughs> but of course, we have to suffer for beauty. Isn't that the belief? Ah, yes. Well, it kind of, you wouldn't suffer if it wouldn't look good. So it kind of, that's how the association comes about. Now, I know, but who decides what looks good, you know? <laughs> maybe the things that other people don't do because it hurts. Uh <laughs> So, um, also, you are not only writing books about intuition, you actually also run a software company, right? I do, yes. I have to do custom software. So, um, But I think creating software is definitely, and I've given uh, talks on this at programming conferences, that you know, it's both left brain and right brain. You know, you've got to be able to organize things logically, but you also need to be able to see the bigger picture and... Uh, you know, communicate well, and and I think also use your intuition. If you're trying to solve a, find a bug in a program, you know, often people, I think everyone who, who's involved in software knows that sometimes you take a walk around the block, or you take a nap, or you have a shower, and you suddenly get the answer to whatever the problem was. And that ain't your rational mind talking there, that's your intuition. Well, <laughs> the problem only being is if you're listening to a podcast while going to work, your intuition, you know, well, you have the radio on, you can't hear your intuition, right? You, you, it, yeah. Now, driving can be good for listening. Driving can be very meditative. If you're driving on a, an empty road across the desert or wherever, uh, and you don't have the radio on and you're just driving, often I get very creative thoughts. If, I'm, if I have the radio on or, or if I'm like chatting to the other people in the car, then it's not as meditative. Okay, well, then let's give our listeners a chance to find their inner intuition and uh, turn our <laughs> own podcast off. Uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure having you here. I uh, thought it was really interesting, really insightful to see your take on Thailand as well as where you're coming from. And thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to seeing you in Bangkok this year. Right. And for any listeners who want to find out more about Michael, we'll put the link to his book as well as his other projects in the show notes. So you can read up on that after you tuned into your intuition. Have a good day. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. 
if you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time. Bye.